0: Zirkse, great touch and this could be a splendid opening goal. <laughs> Joshua Zirkse, a class act to open this Samilian Derby. Hello and welcome to episode 98 of Serie A Spotlight I'm your host Jake I'm usually joined by my brother and co-host Matt But he is in Australia sorting out some personal issues He should be back in about two weeks But until then, you're stuck with me And I often wonder and think to myself What are the fans thinking right now? What, what are the listeners thinking right now? Oh, we're stuck with this one, the weird one. Ah, oh, thank God it's this one and not the other one I wonder, let us know, should Matthew stay in Australia? Comment below. Selecting the goal of the week for this week was particularly difficult. Um, it was so difficult, actually, because you had Xerxes' goal, which took the cake at the end of the day, where the, the first touch with his back heel, he just played the ball perfectly in front of him to give him space to beat his man. Then the feint to drop the keeper, he just taps it in like he... He makes it look so easy, but that's so hard to do, you know. Like, for me, that's the goal of the week. And then you have Scamacca on the other hand, who ba- scored a backheel goal where he not make the goalkeeper absolutely crazy over there. Politano, who headed the ball down um, past Pellegrino and, uh, and shimmied past another man and smacked it into the back of the net. Raspadori's amazing free kick. Soleil dribbling to Senna and placing it into the back of the net. All incredible goals, guys. I'm going to drop a poll below. If you're on Spotify, if you're on YouTube, please comment below. Let us know which your favorite goal was and why. But yeah, before we get into the action, guys, remember to um, follow us on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. Check us out. um, Drop a five-star rating. And if you really want to support what we do, um, we have Patreon, it's $3.99 a month to support our content. We'll be using the money to invest in our studio. I'm currently using the studio, fun fact, for the first time. I'm recording here for the first time. I had to actually duct tape a piece of cardboard to the door frame because we don't actually have any doors installed right now. So <laughs> the funny thing is the ceiling is soundproof, but we don't have any doors, so it totally defeats the purpose. But yeah, um, this should be adequate for now. Before I get into a detailed analysis of each game, um, let's just quickly run down the scores. So it all kicked off on Friday with Genoa Salernitana, that's so Genoa defeating Salernitana with a score of 1-0. Sassuolo Bologna took place on Saturday afternoon, uh, this is a derby in Reggio Emilia, the score was 1-1 over there. Lecce and Torino faced off, seeing Torino winning with a score of 1-0, while Juve Um, struggled to get past Genoa um, with a score of 1-0. And they did not struggle because of a lack of quality. They struggled because it seemed as though the entire world was against them for this one. Um, Sunday kicked off with a fantastic game And it's going to be the main game The first game we're going to be covering And I don't ever think in Serie A spotlight history We've started off with a minnow game And I'm not sure Matthew would agree with this But thankfully he's 24 hours away So by the time he gets here he'll have calmed down Cagliari 4, Frosinone 3 This will be the first one I'll be covering this episode Monza 1, Udinese 1, Inter 1, Roma nil Over there, Roma, absolutely boring um, And then a good ad for Serie A Napoli 2, Milan 2, but it did not stop there as on Monday it kicked off with Empoli nil, Atalanta 3 and then a fantastic clash between Lazio and Fiorentina which saw Lazio win with a score of 1-0 thanks to a goal at the death by Ciro Immobile. In a week ablaze with the thunderous clashes of Serie A giants, where legends battled and the net quivered with the weight of their prowess, one showdown soared above all. An unparalleled spectacle of skill, grit and redemption. Cagliari 4, Frosinone 0. This game saw Cagliari become the first side in Serie A history to come back from 3-0 down past the 70th minute mark. Yeah, I wish I spoke like that all the time, to be honest. What a game, what a game, 12.30 on a Sunday. If you were doing anything else, like if you were out for brunch, I pity you because this was the place to be. And it all kicked off with Frosinone absolutely annihilating Cagliari. But don't get it twisted. Cagliari did hold their own and they were always in it despite being down 3-0. It's just that luck was not on their side. And that's why this game particularly was a... Was a testimony of, of determination and willpower and just never giving up, you know, all the cliches. Um, and of course, Esel Ametti, Senia Pavoletti. Now, let's get into the lineups before we get into what happened. For Cagliari, it was a 4 3 2 1 formation with Scufe in goal, Nathan Nandes as the right back, Augello as the left back, Goldeniga and Dossena at the back, with Makumbu, Prati, and Deola in midfield, and Luvumbo playing behind Mankozu. For Frosinone, it was Turati in goal with Lirola on the right, Marquezza on the left, Romagnoli and Monteresi as the centre-back duo with Brescianini and Berencea in midfield, Sule out on the right, Baez out on the left, Reiner in the pocket and Chuni up front. It was a cagey start, but Frosinone did start off on the front foot this game, especially possession-wise, but in the 22nd minute, the individual errors began as Dos who you'll hear a lot about this game, gave the ball away cheaply in a dangerous position. Reiner, the exciting youth prospect on loan from Real Madrid, played the in uh, the exciting youth prospect on loan from Juventus. And of course, he finished clinically. What you'll notice about this Frosinone team is they are young and most of them are on loan. It's just crazy how selflessly they play. Um, same can't be said about many of the other lowly teams, particularly with Udineza, for example, where every week they show me how fucking selfish they are. Now, in the 28th minute, Sule accidentally handled the ball in the area from hero to zero. Mankozu um, had to take the penalty. Um, he stepped up and he smacked it into the crossbar. The ball fell to Yangto, who couldn't hit the target. So that was already one massive chance missed by Cagliari, who had the opportunity to equalize, but could not capitalize on it. In the 38th minute, just... 10 minutes later, Sule went on a solo run, twisted and turned past Dosena. that's the second time we're mentioning him, before slotting home calmly. So it's redemption again, of course. Um, two goals, he gave away a penalty granted, but they failed to convert, so he's living in dreamland at this point. And the 43rd minute, Luvumbo played a perfect cross to Mankozu, whose header hit the, hit the woodwork. This is the second time he struck the bar this game after the penalty. So you can tell, you know, Collier hitting the post twice, trailing 2-0, um, they were still in it, they were still in it um, up until this point. So now it's half time. you can tell, probably Ranieri was uh, telling his boys, come on, you've been unlucky, we can do this, don't concede another one, we're still in this game, let's go out, let's get them. 49th minute. Brescianini opens the second half by beating Dos Senna, third time, 1v1 and rolling the ball into the back of the net to make it 3-0 so at this point I thought to myself, fuck the game's over and I'm just gonna have to watch Frosinone defend a 3-0 lead while Cagliari fluff their chances but that was far from being the case Gabriela Zappa attempted to head the ball into the back of the net uh, for Cagliari after a corner, but it was cleared off the line brilliantly by defense, defender Monterizi. Now, this is another massive opportunity squandered by Cagliari. Luck was not on their side. However, they did not give up. In the 72nd minute, Pavoletti, who had just come on, played the ball to Aristano, who had just come on, on loan from Inter. He curled it in absolutely beautifully with his left foot. This was another potential goal of the week, contender. There were quite a few this week. Um, last week, I commented that there weren't many crazy goals. Um, apparently, they were all saving them for this week. In the 76th minute, shortly after, Berinchea, who is also on loan from Juventus, playing for Frosinone, gave the ball away clumsily. Um, well, to be honest, he played the ball in a tight space where, where... He really shouldn't have been risking it, um, especially considering the fact that Cagliari had just scored and they were driven. He should have totally played the safer pass over there, he just cleared the ball up. But it was intercepted by Makumbu basically, who took full advantage, he drove forward and he finished to make it 3-2. Now all of a sudden, Cagliari are back into the game, they need one goal to get an equaliser and there, there are 15 minutes plus added time remaining. The referee shortly after awarded a penalty to Cagliari for a foul by goalkeeper Turati on Pavoletti, who basically Superman dived and punched the ball um, out of his feet. Upon a VAR review, the penalty was overturned as Turati had clearly punched the ball first. Disappointment for Cagliari, but they did not give up. In the 94th minute, Nicolas Viola delivered a perfect corner to the head of Pavoletti, who got the equalizer with a header, of course. Um, pavoletti, if you know anything about Pavoletti, he comes on in the second half and he scores late headers. That's all he does. Um, in fact, you know, there was metti, senia pavoletti. Which translates to if you put him on, Pavoletti will score. Two minutes later, a long ball was played over the top. It was flicked down by Docsena. Okay, this is the fourth time we're mentioning him, and it's the only positive, okay? Massive contribution over here. He flicked the ball down to Pavoletti, who managed to get the ball over the line. Absolutely brilliant scenes. Now, some of you might ask, how the hell did this happen? How did it happen that um, they were losing 3-0 and then all of a sudden they take out some of their best players in Yankto and Luvumbo and Mankozu and they come back not only to equalise but to win. Um, and I would say that the substitutions that Ranieri made were very smart. Okay, So bringing on the likes of Nicolas Viola, Oristano and Atzi gave you a nice mixture of like uh, experience, um, Young Flair in Oristanio. You know, no one really Knows what he's gonna do You know, Young on loan from Inter He comes on, he's driven, he's hungry And he was the catalyst, in fact He was the one to score the first goal He was the one to give them hope and Not to mention Atzi as well Who's got a bit of experience Under his belt as well um, Not to mention that Frosinone are Are to blame as well You know, they're victims of their own um, lack of composure Because when the goals started coming in They panicked and they just kept coming in And then and then and then and, and four goals in 20 minutes is just mental to concede And I feel like the substitutes that had just come off Were so shocked <laughs> They couldn't even get into the game Like you see Burabia came on Oyono came on Garitano, Kedira they didn't even know what to do At one point the eightieth minute he panicked He brought on a call He's like fuck it We need a defender over here Um, Nothing, it was all in vain Because Pavoletti absolutely destroyed them at the end Um, Another factor, of course, is The determination by Cagliari The fact that they were never out of it Do you know what the players did when they scored in the 93rd minute? The equaliser, the 3-3 They ran to the ball They grabbed the ball They ran back to their half And they placed the ball on the halfway line ready to go score another one like that's crazy you just scored three to come back from three nil down to three three you should be celebrating you know celebrating like it's a winner no no that was not enough for them they wanted to go all the way and boy did they now i'm sure this victory will help Cagliari, um with their confidence you know they hadn't picked up a single victory all season just a couple of draws here and there they currently sit in 19th with six points Let's hope that this is a turning point for them. They even have Lapadula coming back and I can't wait to see him because he was absolutely bossing it in Serie B and he's a leader also. You know, they've got a few nice options up front, not to mention Petania, who hasn't even settled yet. I'm curious to see if he can do anything. As for Frosinone, this won't be the end of the world for them as they had quite a strong start to the season and they sit 12th with 12 points. Um... Yeah, I don't think this will affect them too much. Hopefully, they it will make them hungry and it will teach them a brutal lesson in composure and focus. Speaking of a brutal lesson in composure and focus, the next game we're going to be covering is Napoli 2, Milan 2. It unfolded as a spectacle, to be honest. Um, it left both teams with mixed emotions because Milan were totally devastated to throw their 2-0 lead away, while Napoli also looked disappointed by the fact that they didn't manage to get three points out of this one despite being 2-0 down. Rudi Garcia approached the game with a 4-3-3 formation with Meretting goal, uh, Di Lorenzo as the right-back, Mario Rui as the left-back, and Nathan and Rahmani as the centre-back duo. In the midfield, it was Elmas, Lobotka, and Zelinski with Gvaratskelia out on the left, Politano out on the right, and Giacomo Raspadori playing as a false nine. Um, for Milan, it was the exact same formation, a 4-3-3. With Manjan in goal, Calabria as the right-back, to Hernandez as the left-back with Tomori and Pierre Kalulu as the centre-back duo. Reinders, Kronich and Musa were the midfield three with Rafael Leao out on the left, Pulisic out on the right and Olivier Giroud up front. Now, the game started off with Milan on the front foot, but they had bad news in the 19th minute as Pierre Kalulu, who was the third-choice centre-back, um, or fourth choice, arguably, if you if you think that Kier is ahead of him in the pecking order, I think it depends on the on the matchup. Um, he fell injured, and he will be out till 2024. And Marco Pellegrino, who has never played a Serie A game in his life had to step in and replace him for his debut in the Maradona talk about the baptism of fire absolutely fucking stressful for him stressful for everyone watching and he looked nervous and that's quite a shit way to start the game for Milan unfortunately for them the (laughs) the injury crisis does not hold up but but Milan started strongly and in the 22nd minute, Polisic played a great ball to Giroud who converted um, shortly after, just 10 minutes later, Davide Calabria as well played a perfect ball to Giroud who was on red hot form and he scored his second goal of the game and at this point we were wondering, oh my god, are Milan going to fucking smash Napoli at the Maradona yet again after last season's 4-0 f- smacking of the champions, quite frankly but yeah, um, the first half ended with Milan up by two. Um, and at halftime, Milan took out Christian Pulisic, who was also injured apparently, and brought on Luca Romero. So all of a sudden, you're playing with Pellegrino and Luca Romero, who are two relatively inexperienced players. Of course, Luca Romero having more experience playing with Lazio and featuring a few times with Milan. Um, as for Napoli, they made three substitutions at the halfway. Mark, they brought on Ostigard to try to deal with Giroud a little bit better, um, Simeone to, to partner Raspadori up front so they can play with two up front, and Matias Oliveira to play on the wing instead of Mario Rui, perhaps offering a little bit more defensive solidarity against Romero in this case, it would have been Christian Pulisic. But yes, it took till the 50th minute for Marco Pellegrino to be exposed. Of course, that's a little bit harsh. But Politano um, used his experience and his technique to absolutely destroy him. When he went to head the loose ball and Politano just flicked it over him. Shemit passed Teo Hernandez and smacked it into the back of the net. Absolutely brilliant goal um, by him. And then later on... In the 63rd minute, Romero gave away a free kick just outside the area, which um, Raspadori took so brilliantly. He shot it to Manián's near post. Manián should have definitely done better. Um, he set up a secondary wall to kind of cover the, the second post, but he... Sorry his near post, but um, it proved to be redundant as all it did was block his view and Manian should never have been beaten um, over there quite frankly the game featured quite a few missed chances as well as in the first half Politano received a square ball right in front of the goal well at an awkward angle to be honest he shot and he failed to hit the target Calabria um, when there was a flick on by Jovic later on um, failed to score as well and at the very end of the game Gvaratskhelia should have scored the winner but he missed when he was one-on-one um, with the goalkeeper he was also squared the ball um, yeah, a mixed bag, a total mixed bag over here. And I'm hearing shouts of Pioli out. This has been a very, very tough two weeks for Milan. Um, when you look at the Juve game, when you look at the PSG game, when you look at the this game now, um, and is being criticized. And not only by the fans, now it seems to be the players. So we've already seen this season the players criticizing um, his decision to take out Loftus-Cheek earlier on the season. Um You could see Leao and Teo Hernandez basically telling Pioli, why are you subbing him? He's strong, we need his physicality. Why are you taking him out? But Pioli, of course, stuck with his guns. This game, you see Giroud absolutely fuming at the fact that he's being substituted um, when he had already scored two goals and was in red hot form. And usually, I tend to say the opposite. Like, for example, when Milan were a man down against Juventus, and purely decided to keep Giroud on, I questioned that decision. And I said, do you really want to keep on a relatively immobile player when you're a man down against Juventus um, and you want to attack? I thought that was a little bit bizarre, personally. Now, in a game like this, where you have a seasoned striker who's in the form of his life um, and you need goals, and you look at your alternative and your alternative is Jovic, who hasn't scored a goal for you, who hasn't even settled yet. Um, it seems like the wrong decision to make. However, Pioli did say that if Jovic's flick on to Calabria had found its way into the back of the net, we would have been hailing him to be a genius. But unfortunately, we can only talk about and discuss things that have happened, Pioli. And um, this is it. This is what happened at the end of the day. You took out one, two. your two top goal scorers. Okay, so Pulisic was off... Um, At at the start of the half with an injury Then he took off Leao And Giroud Who are the two other top scorers Now Leao was visibly pissed off as well um, And he publicly said "Um, I need an explanation from the coach As to why I was substituted Um, I, I can give him an explanation very easily He played like a moron He played stupidly He was selfish He was casual And Apart from running to the byline, he didn't really provide any form of threat. Um, I I do think that when it comes to structuring the game and beating men down the wing and taking the ball to the byline, Leao is absolutely incredible and he's one of the best in the world. And that is what has earned him his reputation, right? His ability to, to absolutely leave defenders in the mud as he takes off and knocks the ball forward. And um, takes advantage of the space in front of him. However, he seems to think that <laughs> he's better than he is, quite frankly. Because I've never seen him score a goal from out of the box and he keeps trying them. He keeps trying these long range shots. Like, what? why? Play to your strengths. It's prima donna-esque, you know, like... It's so frustrating at times, and and then when you, when you see him say, "I want an explanation." The explanation should be that moment where you had Romero wide open and you attempted to trip the goalkeeper from out of the box when a goal was needed. Um, again, he had the opportunity to empower a youngster. He had the opportunity to to play the ball to a player who's very smart, smart beyond his years. Like granted, Romero's a youth player, but he's he's known for his IQ. You know, he wouldn't have wasted that opportunity if you gave him the ball over there it's just very frustrating when it comes to leo because he is clearly a freak of nature he's physically stronger than everyone else he's faster than everyone else he's he's skillful he, he's when it comes to dribbling he's so smart he knows where to put the ball he knows where to feint he it comes naturally to him you know but sometimes i question his his decision making i question his attitude at times as well um, and it's clear to see, you know. I mean, everyone questions it. and You have to be blind to to stand for this because it's selfishness, and and selfishness that's costing the team points at this point. You know, uh, honestly, if Chukwes and Pulisic were both fit, I'd say start the next game with <laughs> with them on the wings. But unfortunately, everyone's in hospital, so. So, um, yeah, uh, Leo obviously can't be benched and let's be real, um, Leo was a player that you have to keep happy because he is a world beater, but the coach does need to fucking grab him by the neck and put him in his place, I feel. As for Napoli, two fantastic goals, two goal of the week contenders um, on Serie A spotlight, I highly doubt they give a fuck about that, but two fantastic goals. Um, And good substitutions by Garcia to keep them in the game as well Those three substitutions he made at halftime proved to be uh, quite useful The the decision to start Elmas confused me to be honest But yeah, it it all worked out in the end for them Um, I would say a draw is the, the deserved result over here It was a game of two halves, the usual cliche The first half was all Milan, the second half was all Napoli Um, And it could have gone any other way, to be honest. Um, The margins were so fine towards the end with all the missed opportunities. Um, Nathan got sent off at the end of the game, by the way, 89th minute. So Milan actually had uh, a few minutes playing a man up. um, And Napoli actually got closer to scoring than Milan did at the end with that Gvart Skelliamis. But alas... um, (laughs) Milan find themselves in third with 22 points, three points off Inter in first, uh, which isn't bad. It's not a bad start to the season at all. Milan are definitely still in this. Uh, The purely out crowd um, is back and I feel like they've never really left. Um, How do I feel about the whole purely out movement? I feel like tactically he can be a little bit stubborn at times. Um, I feel like he sometimes doesn't read the game as well especially when it comes to making substitutions his in-game management can be questionable and i I always find myself wondering why the hell did he bring him on and not him why did he take him out you know what i mean um the season is long however and sacking him now would be absolutely mental because you're not going to get a replacement that's better and you risk disgruntling the dressing room I say, uh, unless there's a situation where Milan are like are about to miss out on top four, there should be no reason for Pioli to be sacked. Granted, then at the end of the season, assess, go back to it, and say, okay, there were these three nil. There was a three nil loss over here, a five one loss over there, a loss over here, a lead thrown over there. Um, Do we want to continue With this guy And at the end of the season If you decide That that's not What you want to do You sack him And you bring someone And you give him A full preseason And you do it properly Not sacking a coach Halfway through the season When you're third And still relevant In the Champions League Because let's be real Milan aren't dead yet In the Champions League Granted they don't have a victory They haven't scored a goal They've got three games Remaining in the group of death And with the way The other games Have turned out The ball is still In Milan's court To a certain extent Um, Napoli sit in fifth with 18 points as they kind of figure themselves out with their new identity Um, I'm sure this um, result will give Napoli fans a little bit of faith in Garcia as a tactician Perhaps not about the way he approached the game initially but the way he adapted to it And um, eventually prevented a humiliating loss Um, Some of you might argue that (laughs) Pioli did that himself, not Garcia But... But anyway, let's let's remain positive over here. The good news for Napoli is that um, Victor Ozyman should be coming back in the near future. And he's obviously a massive asset to them because playing without one of the best strikers in the world is obviously much harder than playing with one of the best strikers in the world. The next game I'm going to be talking about is Inter 1-Roma nil. And Roma over here really demonstrated what a negative, boring side they are. Um, And and I'm being nice over here because Sassuolo approach games against Inter with a positive mentality and they play their football and they try to score their goals. while, While Roma absolutely surrendered the ball and let Inter play and try to take advantage. Of, um, of slip-ups or of half chances, and to be honest, they did get close to getting something out of this um, with the with a uh, Cristante header at some point. But it's it's absolutely mind-boggling to me how a team like Roma ha- approaches a game like th- against Inter in this manner, having the ball for merely 19 minutes in the entire game. That's the least. Any club has held the ball this match day. The least. 19 minutes they had the ball for. Now I know this is Mourinho's approach. I know, yes, okay, it almost worked. It's just it's just so <laughs> so boring to watch. You know, I love I love Mourinho. Um nowadays, didn't used to like him when he was when I was younger, let's just say that. Um but nowadays I've grown to appreciate him um as a as a man, as a character, and even historically for what he's done. But, but yeah, the football is absolutely brutal to watch um, and Inter thankfully brought the spice over here. So for Inter, it was a three-five-two 2 formation with Sommer in goal, Bastonia, Acerbi and Pavard at the back with Di Marco on the left flank and the Dumfries on the right flank. Mkhitaryan, Chalanoğlu and Barella were in the middle with Lautaro, Martinez and Thuram up front. For Roma, it was Rui Patricio on goal, Mancini, Lorente and Indica at the back with Cristante on the right, Zalewski on the left, Bove, Paredes and Cristante in the middle with Lukaku and El Sharawi up front. This was Lukaku's first time back at San Siro after he refused to renew his contract with Inter. And not only that, he um, actually, I don't even think he was offered a contract with Inter because he was in talks with um with other teams before the Champions League final had even been played. So so the fans resent him, the players resent him. Um, Barella and Martinez were particularly cold towards him during the handshake at the beginning of the game. Fans had thousands of whistles at the stadium. I believe it was like 30,000 whistles or something. Plus they had apps on their phone for those who didn't have a whistle. They could download a whistle app on their phone and they could actually um, use that instead. Um, the sound was deafening from our TV, so let alone what it uh, must have been like over there every time Lukaku touched <laughs> the ball. Um, absolute carnage by the Inter fans. But yes, let's quickly run down how the game went. The first action was Kshalanoglu smacking the crossbar from a distance it would have been a fantastic goal. Rui Patricio had a one-on-one save on Toram, DiMarco had a narrow miss with the outside of his foot. Uh, Pavard kept bombing into the box That was an interesting thing We observed And I think he actually had more touches in the box Than Lukaku did in the entire game Um, More shots too, actually Um, Thuram missed a golden opportunity With his head still quite wasteful Um, Cristante headed the ball goalwards And this was a very, very good shot on target for Roma Um, And it it required a full stretch save by Sommer to, to, To stop that from going in jean took another long-range shot, which deflected and almost found its way into the back of the net. While Di Marco kept pelting in crosses, obviously you know how relentless he can be. Eventually he delivered a low cross between the goalkeeper and the defence. It took up until the 81st minute for this to, to actually work, where Thuram was there to slot it in. And he scored the winning goal. Lukaku's replacement right in front of Lukaku in Lukaku's stadium. Um, while he's being whistled and everyone's cheering for him, it must have been absolutely horrible for Lukaku to watch that. Can you imagine? And I'm sure he hated every second of it um, because he has demonstrated that he has a particularly large ego. Shortly after that, Carlos Augusto struck the ball venomously from way out and rattled the crossbar and at the end of the game, Cristante had the ball from outside the area and he had a miracle attempt where he shot from long range but failed to hit the target, he actually skied it Um, Yeah, I mean, I'm sure Inter have had tougher games than this, they created many chances and they were actually quite wasteful If you look at the shooting stats over here, (laughs) Inter had 19 shots to Roma's three and 63% ball possession Um, When it comes to shots on target, however, Roma kept it tight, so they actually didn't allow Inter many shots on target, they only had three shots on target Inter, while Roma's one shot on target was probably the closest opportunity in the game that anyone got who didn't score, of course. Um, Yeah, that header by Cristante, wow, what a save by Jan Sommer. I want to highlight quickly the importance of Di Marco, who in my opinion is one of the best left wing backs in world football. He is absolutely relentless. He is a playmaker. Inter tick through DiMarco. Don't get it twisted. It's all about DiMarco. He links the defense to the attack. He's the the catalyst in this team. He's brilliant. Amazing player. I also want to congratulate Simone Inzaghi for trusting one of his players on a yellow card and not substituting him as Alessandro Bassoni got a yellow card in the 64th minute and that would usually mean that in the 70th minute it would be subbed off but he actually left him on until the end of the game so congratulations Simone Inzaghi in trusting your man, something you are not very used to, to doing. When it comes to Roma, I forgot to mention that Mourinho wasn't actually on the bench um, because he's serving a suspension, as always. Um, It was the assistant manager who was there and it would have been entertaining to see Mourinho at San Siro, um, even though he's usually well-behaved over there because the Inter fans absolutely love him because he won the treble um, with them. But yeah, it, it is looking quite bleak for Roma and these big games. They really don't turn up. Um, they currently sit in ninth with 14 points and I think of, obviously their European aspirations are alive and well and even a Champions League spot is, is up for contention for them but they are going through a little bit of an injury crisis and with their best players back hopefully we'll get to see them playing more expressive football not just pragmatic defensive counter-attacking opportunistic football that they're they're playing right now. Inter, on the other hand, sit comfortably in first with twenty-five points, um, two points ahead of Juventus in second, as they continue to, to show that they are a force to be reckoned with in this league. Let's talk about Lazio one Fiorentina nil. This was a Monday night clash uh, in the tenth round of Serie. A. Um, and it took up until the 95th minute for the game to be decided And it was absolutely beautiful the way it was decided Because at one point late into the second half The fans in the Olympico started chanting Chiro Chiro Basically summoning their all-time leading goal scorer in Chiro, Mobila Kind of unfair on Castellanos who was having a great game But of course they want to see their talisman and the man who has changed so many games for them. Um, ov- obviously, Chiro Mobile came on and <laughs> Lazio were given a penalty at the end of the game and he converted it to win the game. You know, football is all about these moments for me. You know, like Thuram scoring in front of Lukaku, the, the contrast between Thur- Thuram's night and Lukaku's night. The fact that um, the fans have so much power. They, they call for a player. The coach brings him on and they empowered him so much that there was no doubt that Chiro Mobile was, was ever going to miss the penalty. And you can tell Patrick that he didn't have to look away because Chiro Mobile hardly ever misses penalties. Uh, he's a fantastic penalty taker. Um, but yeah, football is poetry and football imitates art, which imitates life. And that's just... That's just beautiful, man. But yeah, we should probably get into the lineups. Um, for Lazio, it was the usual 4-3-3 formation uh, with Providell and Lazzari, Patrick, Romagnoli and Morris at the back with Gwendouzi, Rovella and Luis Alberto in the middle. Uh, Zaccagni was out on the left, Philippe Anderson was out on the right with Castellanos starting up front. The ever-impressive Castellanos. He's, he's looking better and better. For Fiorentina, it was Terraciano in goal and therefore 2-3-1 formation with Biragi, Milenkovic, Martínez, Guarda and Parisi at the back. Arthur and Duncan in the double pivot with Icone, Bonaventura and González playing behind Lucas Beltran. Um, you know, the home side started the game strongly, of course, being Lazio. They had um, a missed opportunity by Luis Alberto, who was set up really nicely by Tati Castellanos. Um, You had Guendouzi trying and um, playing the ball into the box Uh, You had Beltran actually in the 12th minute who scored offside Uh, He was played a marvellous ball over the top But he he controlled it with his arm He showed great technique though to take the ball down with his arm And round the goalkeeper and score It took VAR for the referee to to call that goal off He did um, hit the post later on he hit the post and then the ball ricocheted off Provadel and back into play. And at the end of the half, uh, there was a little bit of drama actually, as Ikone seemed to be dropped in the box. However, the ref seemed to think otherwise as um, he did not give the penalty. Luis Alberto had a particularly poor game, I feel, this game. Um, Philippe Anderson displayed some good moments where he, he got the ball at one point in the box and turned and shot so brilliantly. Um, forcing the goalkeeper into a reflex save but yeah Lazio were looking much better um, in this game and Sarri did comment he said that it's a shame that Kamada um, can't get more minutes um, with Alberto on the pitch because apparently they their characteristics do not complement each other and they are too similar Um, you know Luis Alberto is a, a fantastic player on his day. Um, Daichi Kamada, you can clearly tell that there's talent over there. But this is just the thing with Sarri. You know? I remember him saying that Milinkovic, Savic and Luis Alberto can't play well together. Um, and he ended up utilising them until SMS went off to Saudi Arabia. But yeah, we'll see. I'm sure he'll figure things out. Daichi Kamada is too good to be kept on the bench. And you can't obviously bench Luis Alberto because he's become a leader in this team. At the end of the game, it was Milenkovic who handled the ball, um, the big Serbian defender. Uh, In the box, the referee pointed to the spot and it was Immobile who stepped up, of course, shot the ball low and hard to the left. The goalkeeper went the wrong way and Lazio took home all three points. Lazio seemed to be... On good form, they seem to be recovering They've won 4 out of their last 5 matches And they have climbed up to 7th with 16 points As for Fiorentina, they are in 6th 1 point ahead of Lazio with 17 points As now they've got 2 losses in a row They're going through a bit of a slump right now But obviously this tends to be the case Both teams are trying to balance European football and Serie A they're both trying to play to their high standards, um, and sometimes it can bite you in the ass. Like Fiorentina's loss last week was, you know, the, in Maltese there's an expression, there's a lot you slip where it's dry, and Fiorentina definitely slipped where it was dry. Last week, a loss to Lazio is forgivable and excusable. Granted, perhaps it was a little bit harsh, they had a... They had many opportunities. They had a goal that was ruled out. They had a penalty call. They lost to a last-minute penalty. They had seven shots on target to Lazio's three shots on target. You know, it's, it's a bit of a bitter pill to swallow, but um, but yeah, I'm sure they'll bounce back. The next game I'm going to be covering is Juventus 1 Verona nil. Um, Juve lined up with a 3-5-2 formation with Szczesny in goal. Rugani, Bremer and Gatti at the back with Kostic out on the left and way out on the right with Rabiot, Locatelli and McKennie in the middle. Moiskin and Dusan Vlaovic formed a striking partnership up front. For Verona, Marco Baroni's men lined up with a 3-4-1-2 formation with Montepo in goal. Terraciano, Davidovic and Magnani at the back with Faroni out on the right, Doig on the left, Hongla, Foloruncio and Duda playing in the middle with Juric and Bonazzoli up front. In the 12th minute of the match, Moise Keane scored a fantastic goal, but the goal was disallowed because he had been offside in the build-up play by a stud. Um, harsh, very, very harsh over there, Um, and it drew a lot of attention. Um, Should the goal have stood? Was it onside? You know, at the end of the day, people are arguing that it was so close that the goal should have been given. However, where do you draw the line? I feel like the offside rule could be one of those that's um, black or white, you know, (laughs) pun intended. Let's just say it was intended uh, because of Juve, of course. Um it was it was offside you know marginally and as close a call as it's going to get but we can't make exceptions like this you know unless the rule is changed entirely um i do like the idea of the offside rule uh favoring the striker so that if the striker is in line with the defender um it's onside regardless um of on if he's ahead of him or not However, that is not the rule at the moment. Um, the rule states that if the defender is ahead, if the striker is ahead of the defender when the ball is played, then that's offside. And unfortunately, with that being the rule, this this is offside. Now, maybe for the next game, Moyes-Keen will have to wear um, a shoe size smaller. Yeah, um, Juve got close again through Moiskin in the first half, and Bonazzoli had an opportunity towards the end of the first half, where he forced Szczesny into a great save. Uh, Moiskin scored again in the second half, but this time it was ruled out for a foul, and this was absolutely ridiculous. Okay, Juve were hard done in this game. Um, <laughs> this was a very harsh foul to give, as he barely made contact with the player. Um, yeah, ruled off and it seemed like Juve were not going to get the three points over here However, at the end of the game, in the 96th minute, Gatti whipped the ball into the box Milik headed it into the bar and Cambiazo scored the rebound um, To give Juve a dramatic 1-0 victory at the death against Verona A victory that was well-deserved Um, Juve absolutely dominated Verona, taking 30 shots to Verona's seven. Uh, Juve had six shots on target this game, while Verona only had but one Bonazzoli attempt, and they deserved the victory. Uh, It would have been extremely harsh if they didn't get all three points, considering the nature of the goals that were called off. Um, But yeah, Juve won and temporarily entered first place. Um, With Inter's victory, that sees Juventus in second place with 23 points while Hellas Verona are in 16th with eight points, just one point outside the relegation pool. I also forgot to point out that uh, there was a penalty call on Chiesa as well, so that would have made it even more controversial uh, if it could get any more controversial um, than it currently was at the time. Um, Chiesa's influence off the bench was absolutely amazing, adding energy and chaos and attacking the Verona goal on multiple occasions. For the Empoli nil Atalanta three game, this was a fantastic game to to come home to after work on a Monday. Um, Empoli lined up with a four three three formation with Berisha in goal. This was, of course, a, a potential banana slip for Atalanta as um, Empoli have got their shit together since the. Reappointment of Andrea Zoli. Ebuehi, Walukovic, Luperto, and Kakalcha were at the back with Marin, Grassi, and Maleh in the middle, with Cambiaghi out on the right, Canchilleri out on the left, and Caputo up front. For Atalanta in their new third kit, which is red and lovely, um, Juan Musso was in goal, Kolasinac, Jim City, and Scalvini were at the back with Ruggeri on the left, Hans Hatterberg on the right making his return. Um, he used to be a regular starter and that's how we remember him on the great Atalanta side. Ederson and Martin Derun were in the middle with Koop Miners playing behind Skamakka and Lukman. The first half witnessed Atalanta's complete domination. Um, as evidenced by their overwhelming possession and attacking prowess, quite frankly. Scamacca's goal early on in the game set the tone for Atalanta's attacking intent, with uh, his creative backheel flick, nutmeg flick, ensuring a well-deserved lead. Atalanta's overall superiority was underscored by Scamacca's attacking prowess. The Italian was on fine form this game and played a pretty much flawless game. He also went on to almost score again, just near miss over there and then scoring a goal which was chalked off for offside. Scamacca also went on to set up Coop Miners who scored with a well-placed finish and then scored another goal in the second half thanks to an assist by Martin Derun in the 51st minute. Empoli got close through Kambiagi but um, Atalanta's offensive onslaught was simply too much for them and at the end of the day it was quite an easy win for Atalanta, who had 56% ball possession and 18 shots to Empoli's 9, 6 shots on target for Atalanta to Empoli's 2. As for the league standings, Atalanta are in 4th place with 19 points, while Empoli are in 18th place with 7 points, despite their lowly standings, uh, there's a clear improvement over there. Atalanta continue to push for Europe, um, as they do look very good this year. And they've got some some good depth and some quality players. Once they get ticking, they might really be a force to be reckoned with. And I do think they'll be a contender for top four um, and playing in the Champions League next season. We had a derby this match day between Sassuolo and Bologna. It it was an Emilian derby, and this was where our goal of the week was scored. Of course. Um, why did the inconsistent start for Sassuolo, who have beaten Juventus and Inter, but failed to pick up a single victory in the last three rounds. Their lineup this week was Andrea Consigli in goal in their 4-2-3-1 formation, with Toljan, Erlich, Ferrari, and Vigna at the back, Balocca and Tordsvet in the middle, with Berardi, Bayrami, and Laurente playing behind Pinamonti. For Bologna, it was Skorupski in goal in their 4-3-1 formation, basically, mirroring Sassuolo, Lico Giannis, Calafiori, Bonifazi, and De Silvestri were at the back with Abishar and Freuler playing in the double pivot with Alexis Salamakers out on the left, Riccardo Orsellini out on the right, Lewis Ferguson playing behind Joshua Zergzi. Sassuolo's offensive tactical configuration allowed them to maintain a strong presence in the opponent's half, creating several goal-scoring opportunities, especially through the efforts of Berardi and Pinamonti. Sassuolo attempted to control the midfield, emphasising the importance of maintaining possession and creating cohesive attacking movements to penetrate Bologna's defence. On the other hand, Bologna took a more defensive approach. They were looking to thwart Sassuolo's attacking threats and minimise their goal-scoring chances. Bologna strategically focused on keeping everything tight um, and players like Skorupski and Califiori did very well to disrupt Sassuolo's rhythm and uh, limit their ability to play sustained attacks. Despite Bologna's initial defensive posture, they also sought opportunities for quick counterattacks to capitalize on any defensive lapses from Sassuolo, an opportunistic approach over there from Motta. The game actually started with Sassuolo's attempts, uh, many attempts for Sassuolo, including a close transfer by Rami. However, Bologna quickly took the lead through a brilliant trademark play by Zergzi, who skillfully evaded the defenders to score a stylish goal um his back heel control was to die for you should totally go watch that if you haven't Um, despite Sassuolo's efforts the first half saw them struggling to convert their possession into concrete goal scoring opportunities The second half witnessed both teams making strategic substitutions while Sassuolo intensified their attacks. Bologna also attempted to increase their tempo. The match continued with moments of back and forth action with Sassuolo's Bologna eventually scoring an equaliser with a well-placed shot from outside the box. Another potential goal of the week contender. There were many this week. The game saw further attempts from both sides with Zergzi initially scoring another goal which was disallowed due to Orsolini's offside Position. A few crucial saves by Skorupski saw the game and 1-1 with Bologna in 8th with 15 points, while Sassuolo are down in 15th with 11 points. Yeah, a draw here was, I think, the the fair result. Um, Five shots on target for each team. Bologna dominating the possession, even though watching the game, it totally didn't feel like that was the case. I mean, how the hell did Bologna have 60% ball possession? It felt like Sassuolo were more... Involved than that. Um, but yeah, it was an interesting watch and yeah, fair draw, fair draw over here. We'll be moving on to Monza Udinese, which ended 1 1 for Monza. It was Di Gregorio and goal, Carboni, Mardi, and Calderola at the back with Kiriacopoulos on the left, Churia on the right with Pessina and Gagliardini in the middle, Vignato and Colpani. Uh, played behind Colombo for Udinese. It was a 3-5-2 formation with Silvestri in goal, Perez Biol and Cabalese at the back, with Ebosele out on the right and Zamora out on the left, with Piero, Wallace and Samarzic in the middle. Success and Pereira were up front. Now, Monza got an early lead orchestrated by Colpani um, and it aligned with the team's strategic approach to be honest, with the absence of Itzo and Ambrosio in defense. Um, the inclusion of Carbone was obviously necessary. The structured offensive head set up, spearheaded by Viniato and Colpani, posed a significant threat to Udinese's defensive line. And in fact, the first half was all Monza's. They had 57% ball possession and three shots on targets to Udinese's nil. However, however, the second half saw Udinese making a few tactical changes, bringing on Kamara. Um, Lovrich, Lucca and Ferreira And they easily grew into the game Their substitutions brought in a lot of energy And as the game progressed Both teams continued to make more tweaks In pursuit of a decisive breakthrough Monza's tactical adjustments Included the introduction of Bondo and Carvalho Sought to fortify their defensive strategies While Udinese brought on of course um, Offensive players that I mentioned earlier a ball over the top that wasn't dealt with by Monza, so look at the far post, um, executing a perfect poacher's finish over there, the six foot seven striker. Um, hardly ever scores with his head because his technique is just that good that he doesn't need to. When you have a player who's that tall with so much technique, it's always fun to watch. Udinese are one of the most selfish teams in the league and I hate watching them, quite frankly, because players like lovridge for example towards the end of the game had a player wide open but he went for the shot absolutely disgusting there's there's a situation like this every single week with udinese um i don't know if it's you know there's an expression that says the fish rods from the head a fish rots from the head down and this applies perfectly to be honest because udinese's ownership doesn't seem to be investing in the club and um if they don't see any value in the club, then I highly doubt the players do. So the players might view this team as a stepping stone in their career, um or as an opportunity to stat pad a few personal stats. And that seems to be the case with Udinese, unfortunately, at the moment. Um We all know that their owners also own Watford, so they do have um other interests and priorities. Udinese sit in 17th with seven points. They have actually drawn seven games, so they don't lose very often. They never win. They have zero wins. They've lost three times, but they've drawn seven times. As for Monza, who are way more impressive, and their project is lovely compared to Udinese, especially, they sit in 10th, perfectly mid-table, with 13 points. Um, Yeah, They've won three, they've lost three, and they've drawn four. So yeah, despite Udinez's lacklustre start and the fact that they've sacked a manager already, um, they're actually a very solid team when it comes to their defensive setup and teams are struggling to beat them. So I highly doubt they'll get relegated um, and we'll keep seeing them slowly deteriorate until they do. Um, I predict within the next five years, if it's the same ownership, they will go down to Celia B. As for Lecce Torino, where Torino beat Lecce away from home with a score of 1-0 thanks to a goal by Buongiorno on his return. Um, the lineups involve Lecce's 4-3-3 formation with Falcone in goal, Joandre, Pongracic, Basquerotto and Gallo at the back with Rafia Ramadani and Gonzalez in the middle with Almqvistambanda on the wings with Kristovic up front. For Torino, it was Vanya, Malinkovic, Savic in goal in a 3-4, 3-5-2 formation, sorry, with Ricardo Rodriguez, Buongiorno and Voivoda at the back, Lazaro and Bellanovo on the wings, Trilinetti and Ginetis in the middle, Pellegri and Sanabria up front. Now, the game started off and it was all lecture with missed opportunities from Banda and Kristovic and Alnqvist. They were really pushing to get the lead, but in the 40th minute, Bonjorno got on the end of a cross and smashed the ball into the roof of the net. In the second half, Torino seems to have settled into the game nicely and their defensive cohesion was clear to see. Um, they created the better chances in the second half and Lecce slowly faded out and didn't have anything to answer to this Torino side. These two teams are both very exciting. Um, We all know and we have discussed um, many times on this podcast that Juric is facing a few problems, especially when it comes to getting the team ticking offensively. Uh, Maybe he should start playing Buongiorno as a striker. Um, As for Elektri, of course, you know that we are enamoured by them over here. We are big fans of Almqvist, Kristović, Banda, Strefetza, all these guys. They're all so much fun to watch. Um, and they did put on a show at the beginning of the game Before they kind of fizzled out Murić um, got sent off towards the end of the game For a foul on Bellanova that seemed to injure him um, He got uh, he got um, sent off for complaining, of course As he's the manager I made that sound over there Like Juric ran onto the pitch, fouled Bellanova And got sent off Trust me, this was not the case <laughs> Torino currently sit in 13th with 12 points, while Lecce sit in 11th with 13 points. 10 match days in and this table is really taking shape. Curious to see what happens and um, curious to see what Matty has to say about this. Um, my co-host, um, yeah, I can't wait for him to be back because I must say that doing this alone is way less interesting than doing it with him. The final game I'm going to be talking about was Genoa 1, Salernitana nil. this saw Alberto Gilardino facing Filippo Anzaghi, two men who have won a Champions League trophy together. Genoa lined up with Josep Martinez in goal in their 3-5-2 formation, with Dragosin, Bani, and Vasquez at the back, Sabelli and Martin on the wings, with Malinowski, Badel, and Friendrup in the middle. Retegui and Goodmanson were the striking partnership for Filippo Enzagi Salernitana. It was a three. 3- 4-2-1 formation with Ochoa in goal Pirola, Gyomber, and Lovato at the back with brother Richard Mazzocchi on the wings Kulibali and Major in the middle with Cabral and Kandreva playing behind Dia um, Genoa created several close goal-scoring opportunities early on Both Badel and Retegui hit the posts in the opening minutes reflecting Genoa's strong offensive intent from the get-go However, Retegui's performance was cut short as he had to leave the field due to a recurring knee injury Um, So sad to see over here, I really hope we get to see him um, at his best as he's a very exciting striker. Despite this setback, Genoa continued to dominate the game with Goodmanson eventually scoring a crucial goal, exploiting an assist from Malinowski, which would have also been a potential goal of the week contender. In the second half, the tactical adjustments made by both teams significantly impacted the game. Salernitana shifted to a 3-4-2-1 formation, introducing Sambia and Bohinen to create a more balanced midfield. This change allowed Salernitana to take advantage of Genoa's slightly lower tempo and exploit the absence of Ritegui. However, their, their efforts to equalize were hindered by Genoa's resilient defense led by the strategic substitutions of the brilliant and promising manager Alberto Girardino, who brought on Kutlu and Strutman to reinforce the team's stability. While Salernitana attempted to push forward and create goal-scoring opportunities, their efforts were thwarted by a lack of creativity and precision in the final third. Despite Matsuki hitting the crossbar later in the game, Salernitana failed to convert their chances into goals, and it reflected their struggles to find the right approach in the attacking phase under both Sousa and now under Inzaghi. In contrast, Genoa, although under pressure, managed to withstand Salernitana's late surge, emphasising the importance of defensive solidarity in this Genoa team. Albert Goodmanson is fantastic, I always say this, he is way too good to be playing at Genoa, unfortunately for Genoa and their fans. Um, I'd see him leaving as early as January. Um, he's got a case going on in Iceland right now, um, yeah, a case of abuse. So I think big teams will want that to blow over before before signing him. I believe that's the reason he's not included in the Iceland national team. Um, he tried to dribble the entire world in the 90th minute, Goodman. So despite him being fantastic at the end of the game, he... Had players open, but he kept going, and I did think that he was going to manage to dribble the entire team. Uh, but he lost the ball and the counter attack. So, so um, Dia almost scoring at the end of it. He had he had Ekoban wide open, and the fans have been booing Ekoban. Ekoban and that's uh, very very tough to to watch. As Goodmanson had an opportunity to empower his teammate, but he decided to almost cost his team the game instead. I do think that the booing of Ekuban is very unfair because he's a player who, despite his uh, lack of quality, perhaps, um, always gives his all. Um, And that's what you need from your players. No, you need your players to give their best. I mean, you can protest against the club signing the player, but booing the player when he's trying his best leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Um, at the end of the day, his replacement is Puskas, and Puskas, I believe, might be even worse than he is, so be careful who you boo. Um, the fans have an opportunity to lift their players and to fill them with confidence, and a confident player will obviously make the difference. Um, instead, they're taking the approach of booing him when Retegui can barely stay fit to play. They're going to need a Koban, they better change their approach. So that is it for Match Day Ten, and we'll be moving on to our question segment. I got a got a quest. If it's your first time here, welcome to our question segment. This is where we take listener questions and hot takes. You can drop voice notes. You can drop uh, your opinions on Twitter or on Instagram. You can find us at Say uh, Spotlight, and we will be sure to discuss them. Our first hot take comes from Alessio on Twitter, at amjuve. He says, I don't know if this is a hot take, but I'm loving the performances of Joshua Zergzi so far this season. He's made huge steps to becoming a top striker in the league. Yes, we've been singing Zergzi's praises since the start of this podcast, saying that it's clear what Bayern Munich had seen in him, because he is a Bayern Munich talent um however his finishing uh, has always disappointed him and it seems that he's been taking a different approach when it comes to his finishing opting for precision and intelligence instead of power um, he's smart enough to move his body in a way to deceive the opponent and goalkeepers. And he often leaves goalkeepers flat-footed as he just rolls the ball past them. His development has been fantastic and he's having a fantastic season. Um, I do think that he would be a good fit at a big club. For example, a team like Milan, who need a striker who thrives at hold-up play. He might be, he might be perfect. Who knows? But if he keeps scoring goals at this rate, he's definitely not gonna come cheap. Frank. Our loyal listener, love you Frank, he says based purely on form, does Keen now start ahead of either Kiesa or Vlaovic? If yes, who drops out? Um I think Keen's form is fantastic and I think he's putting Vlaovic to shame. I think a spell on the bench for Vlaovic might not be a bad, a bad thing for Juve right now with the form Keen's in. Um, Keeza's impact of the bench is always very good. He brings a lot of energy. So maybe using him as an impact sub, um, could, could be good for Juve. However, good luck explaining that to the player and trying to keep the player happy. So I think in theory, when you look at the big profiles of Vlaovic and Keza, it's going to be hard to bench them. I think they could play with maybe Keen alongside Vlaovic for the time being. William on Twitter asks, can you touch on Matthias Sule? Of course we can touch on Matthias Sule. We often talk about him on this podcast. He is a fantastic youngster. He's only 20 years old and he's owned by Juventus. Um, Juventus bought him nice and young from a team called Kimberly. Um, Don't ask me anything about Kimberly. I don't know anything about them, but he is from Argentina and has featured for Argentina at under-16, under-21 and under-20 level. Um... Last season, he scored his first ever goal for Juventus and his only goal for Juventus. He's had 15 appearances for them. And this year, he's become a prolific player and the star at Frosinone with eight games and five goals. I think his play style is quite similar to Domenico Berardi, where he's got that's, that kind of large-ish frame. He's six foot feet tall Um and he's very hardworking and technical and has a certain amount of flair to his game, which is always fun to watch. He's extremely exciting, and I do hope that he continues to develop like this. Um, the question is, <laughs> is Juventus the right environment for this guy to continue developing? Um In a 4-3-3, he thrives. Um, Frasinone play a fantastic, attractive, positive brand of football, and definitely contrasts Juventus's approach starkly. Leo Messi um, Asks a question on Instagram I asked for his name But he preferred to not share it So he asked to be referred to as The cool, mysterious Leo Messi Um, He asks Did Fiorentina get robbed against Lazio? I don't think it was a robbery No, um, if you are referring to the penalty call um, On Icone, I don't think there was enough in it For it to be Given a penalty, corner seemed to already be falling when uh, the defender put his hand on his shoulder. I don't, I wouldn't say they got robbed. Um, they were unlucky, but definitely not robbed. I would also like to give a shout out to Andy Chrétien, who DM'd us telling us that um, he had a bet on Keane to score over, for Keane to score and for Juve to get over 1.5 goals against Hellas Verona. If anyone's been robbed, it was definitely Andy. And also, shout out to our boy Jake for showing us how to um, do Viola's celebration from the last episode. Um, Thanks to you, I have finally managed. Thank you for listening, guys. Thank you for tuning in. Be sure to DM us, to rate us, to sign up to our Patreon to support us and to be added to our WhatsApp chat. You know the drill. Goodbye. I'm feeling like a star, you can't stop my shine. I'm falling high, my head's in the sky. I'm solo, I'm riding solo, I'm riding solo.